Have you ever seen the, the sign or the bumper sticker that says, life is hard, then you die? It's one of those really encouraging ones, right? Life is hard, then you die. And, and it, it really is capturing a common experience that we have, right? Anyone ever had life being hard? I would bet every one of our hands should be up. Because we live in a fallen world. Things don't go as planned, as evidenced by this morning and our, our video travails. Things don't go as planned, but we live in a sinful, fallen world. And sometimes it can be just light things. A couple weeks ago, um, I I had an experience with my son and his basketball team, and and I've been discovering that that youth sports give an opportunity for sanctification and for God to reveal things that I need to work on. And, And so as I go to these games, I've shared that a little bit. And But a couple of weeks ago, Mark's team was... um, in the championship, and they've done really well this year, and they have um, one really good player in particular, and um, came to the, the championship game, and the night before, we got an email, and the other team had chosen not to play. And they had they felt, and, and our coach called their coach, and their coach says, what would it really teach my kids if I let them come knowing that they would lose? Think about that for a minute. And I'm thinking, yeah, I know what you've just taught your kids. You've taught them to give up. You've taught them to not persevere. You've taught poor sportsmen. You've taught all these things that, that are just really challenging. And, and I'm dealing with a son who's crushed and just wanted to play the game. He doesn't care if he wins or loses. He just wants to go out and play basketball. And, um, and it was just a little taste. And I was working on sanctification again and my attitude and my anger and my, my emotions. But we so easily give up, right? If, we, if we're looking at situations and we're like, I don't see a way to win. I don't see a way that I can get through this. Our natural man just wants to say, I'm done. I'm done. And that's just a silly youth sports basketball team. And youth sports are silly, guys. Sorry. It's just basketball. It's not worth getting all upset over. I'm telling myself that too. <laughs> but in life, we go through that, don't we? There are days that it's hard to get up. There are days that we feel like pressures have just pushed in so hard around us that we don't know that we can go on. And I've felt that, and I'm guessing that everyone here has felt that at times. Days when maybe physically we've had things going on, or maybe it's an ongoing physical thing, and it's the ongoing stuff that drives you nuts. Because it's just every day, I have to face this again. Maybe it's, it's conflict with people. Maybe it's trouble at home and you're like, I don't even, this isn't the family I wanted. This isn't, this isn't how family should be and I have to get up and do this again today. Maybe it's a work situation that you're just done with. And you're like, I don't even know how to talk to my boss. I don't even know how to deal with that coworker. <laughs> AJ walks in as I talk about coworkers. <laughs> <clears throat> Hypothetical. But we lose heart, right? And and it's so easy to lose heart because this fallen world presses in on us. And we still have to live in it. And we still have to deal with the effects of sin in our lives and, and in the lives of others. Paul understood this. Paul had every reason to give up. If, and, and I've read this passage before, and we're going to get to it later in chapter 11, but it's a good, it's a, it's a helpful backdrop to understand chapter 4. If I think I'm having a bad day, I just read a little bit of 2 Corinthians 11. And Paul says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Okay, that alone I've never had to go through. Three times I was beaten with rods. 
Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Feeling like your problems aren't quite as big anymore? On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul understood. He understood what it meant to have a bad day, to say, I don't even know if I can go on. In chapter 1, we studied that he said, I am hard-pressed, I am afflicted, I am at death's door, he said. And so he understood. And we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And this is a glorious chapter in Scripture. As I've studied it, I'm like, I, I don't even know how to to pass on the riches of this chapter when we're discouraged, when we're down, when we don't think we can take the next step. Because Paul gives a whole different view from someone who knows. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're just going to dig into God's Word together. Let it encourage us and challenge us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you today, you can grab a black one from under one of the chairs around you. If you don't own a Bible, take that home. We want you to have God's Word, and that, can, that is the most powerful book you will ever read. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll just take it chunk at a time. I'd like to start with the first six verses. Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if, our conscience, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. First paragraph, Paul starts out, and and verse 1 there gives us really where he's going for this chapter. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And the therefore, remember you always ask, what is it therefore? It's pointing back, and he's pointing back to chapter 3, and we talked about this incredible ministry of the gospel, and, and that it, it's uh, unlike the Old Testament with Moses, it's not veiled, it's just out there, and we have direct access to God. And, and through Christ, God is changing us from degree to degree. And we have the ministry of passing that on, an incredible ministry. And so that's what he's talking about when he says, therefore, having this ministry. At the end of that verse, he says, we do not lose heart. And that's one of those, those phrases. I think we just sort of know what it means. I went ahead and looked it up and it had the idea of to be discouraged, to be afraid, to quit, to lose motivation, to follow a desirable course of activity. Okay. That's, that sounds like a dictionary definition, doesn't it? But it's to lose motivation or or to quit some desirable activity because we just don't want to go on anymore. We don't think we can go on. And so Paul is saying, 
we don't lose heart. And he's going to go come back to that throughout the chapter. So several reasons why he doesn't lose heart. First reason, point number one, we don't lose heart because we are given an awesome, glorious job to do. We have an awesome, glorious job to, you, to do. And, and in, in the title today, Awesomely Fragile Clay Pots, and, and here I use the word awesome, and I know maybe not everyone uses the word awesome anymore. We used it in the 70s and 80s, back before I was born. No, um, back when I was growing up. And, and it's coming back. Don't, don't laugh at me. I've seen the clothes styles. And we're back to early 70s clothes. And so, so awesome is coming back. It's just around the corner. You'll love it. So, so just go with me this morning. Let me use awesome because that is what kept coming to mind as I kept reading this chapter. This is awesome. This is an awesome ministry. It's awesome what God has done in our hearts. And that, that awesomeness is so much greater than anything I can deal with here. And so Paul starts with purpose. He starts by saying, we have an awesome, glorious job to do. Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, it's given by God. It's not something we happen at. God has given you ministry. He's given me ministry. Doesn't mean you all quit your jobs and become pastors or missionaries. But it means we all have a a ministry, a job to do for Christ. In fact, if you think about it, why, if you're a believer, why would God leave you on the face of this earth? There's only one reason to do his work. If your work for him is done, boom, we're in heaven. We're praising God. These troubles are are done. It's awesome. But he says, no, I have work for you to do. And that, that, that applies no matter what you're going through. In your darkest day, the dark night of the soul, if you're still here, God has work for you to do. And that purpose helps us not lose heart. And so when he says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, a gift of God, Paul understood that as one who was was killing the Christians, killing the church, persecuting them. He would say, I don't even deserve this. But what an awesome privilege of doing God's work. It's a glorious privilege. Sometimes when we think of, "I I have to witness, I have to share Jesus with my neighbor, We think of that as a bad thing, right? Oh, no, Pastor, don't talk about that. In the Bible, it's a glorious thing. It's an awesome privilege to say, Christ changed me and I didn't deserve it. And I have the best news you will ever hear. And we pass that on. And we've got to start thinking differently about our work, about our job for Christ. It's not a chore. It's a privilege. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. When I think of that, like I said, this speaks to purpose. And we know that that when we lose purpose, we lose heart. If if you talk to someone, I I don't know if any of you work in assembly line. Most people don't nowadays, but back a while back, a lot of people worked in assembly lines. What, What do you see about assembly lines? repetition. And those workers look really happy five hours later of doing that, right? No, I mean, this is, there's movies, there's stereotypes about they're just, uh, it it just drains you. You lose heart. And, and, And we know that when we don't see purpose in what we're doing, we lose heart. Studies have shown that when, when, when men retire, they need purpose. 
They need something to do. If men retire and, and don't do anything, don't engage in anything, it doesn't mean they have to stay at work, but they don't engage in something purposeful, then they, they lose heart. They die sooner. They struggle with depression. Why is that? It's an issue of purpose. And so when we are struggling with quitting, with, with not seeing an end, we need to come back to purpose. God has a job for us. God has a purpose for us. It was interesting in, in a real sobering turn of events. I don't know if, if you guys saw Julie Walker's post on the Village Facebook page about a friend of hers. And a friend of hers, they had a son, and their son was a, a self-proclaimed atheist and nihilist, which means there is no purpose in anything. Values don't have purpose. Morals don't have purpose. And, and as he worked out where those worldviews led him, he said, in the end, there's really no reason for living. And a, a week or two ago, he took his life. Because his worldview of not having a purpose, not seeing a purpose of morals or of his life, led to saying, when times get tough, I'm checking out. I'm done. And he lost heart. And so Paul starts by making sure we understand our work. Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Only God's work gives real purpose. See, there's a whole lot of purposes that this world's going to shove down our throats. They might be the purpose of, I need to make a lot of money. Because then I can have a nicer car than you, a nicer house than you, and I can dress better than you. And then I feel good about myself until I meet someone else. And the world's going to shove that down our throats. Unfortunately, Christianity has shoved some other purposes down our throats. Well, if I just have a perfect family, I'm going to be happy. That is not our ultimate purpose, people. Our ultimate purpose is to do the work of God. Now, do I want a, a perfect family? That'd be cool. Just one that obeys a lot of times would be, would be nice. <laughs> but we're in a fallen world. And so it's that struggle, in that struggle, that we are doing God's work. If I base my purpose on anything temporal or anything that just just falls apart, I am going to lose heart. Paul bases it and founds it in his work for Christ. And we have to do the same thing. It's not that those other things are bad, they just aren't ultimate. They can't be our ultimate purpose. In chapter 4, then the, the rest of this paragraph, Paul, Paul, if you notice when Paul writes, he'll write a thought and then sometimes he'll just go off on a little tangent because it, it triggers something in his mind and then he comes back. And, and in this case, the rest of this paragraph, he's really talking about ministry. So we have this ministry. We don't lose heart. Because we don't look, lose heart, what does it look like? And he goes off on this tangent. We, we want to look at verses 2 through 6 here. The first thing is instead of losing heart, We minister truthfully, authentically, and with integrity. Instead of losing heart, we minister truthfully, authentically, and with integrity, starting at verse 2. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. Lots of different opinions. He might have been uh, answering some objections to his teaching. Well, you're just trying to trick us into believing the gospel. Or he might have been addressing some of the false teachers' methods that were happening. Either way, he's, he's sharing what ministry should look like. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. 
And in verse 2 there, he talks about how he does ministry. That he's renounced the disgraceful, underhanded ways. If you lose heart, you become desperate and you're willing to do anything to move forward. And Paul's saying we don't lose heart, so we don't have to do that. We can minister with truthfulness, with integrity. We don't have to trick you into becoming Christians. We don't have to lie about Jesus to make him more appealing. We just have to share the gospel. The word there, he says, we refuse to practice cunning. It's the same word that was used of the serpent in the garden. He used cunning to trick Eve, to to get his way crafty or tricky. He goes on to say we don't have to tamper with the gospel or tamper with God's word, but we're just open with the truth. And if we understand our purpose, if we understand that God is the one that has given us this job, God is the one that has said, I'd like you to share Christ with others. I want you to share Christ with your neighbor. I want you to disciple so-and-so that God is the one that gives that. Then I don't have to insert myself and somehow make his message a little better. I don't have to say, well, you know, you don't really have to follow Christ. You, You just say the prayer and you're good and you don't really have to give up sin. Doesn't that sound so much more appealing? And Paul's saying, no, because I'm not worried about what people think, I'm not worried about losing heart, I just lay it out there. Jesus wants to change your life. He wants to transform you degree by degree into his likeness. Yeah, that means giving up some sin. Because it's not pleasing to God and because it it isn't part of God's plan for our good. Paul's saying, I don't have to tamper with the gospel. I don't have to make it more palatable. I just have to be open with the truth. Instead of losing heart, Paul ministers with truthfulness and integrity. It's a good reminder that as message bearers, that we all are, as message bearers of the greatest message, our integrity still matters. Our integrity matters. Does that make sense? If I'm sharing the gospel with my, my coworker and he knows that I'm, I'm stealing from the company or lying on my timesheets, how, how does that message go? It's, it's gone. We are to be people of integrity, open and forthright. And let the gospel do its work. Verse 3, Paul's still on, on this, this little sideline thought about ministry. He says we minister with integrity. We don't have to, to cheat, lie, and change things. And then in four, in their, or in three, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. He now answers the question, well, why doesn't everyone believe then? And he says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And Paul here says we need to minister realizing we have an opponent. Realizing that Satan is opposing us at every turn. We don't have to water down the, the gospel. It's, it's not our presentation of the gospel that's keeping people from Christ. It's Satan with a veil. Speaking of Moses' veil again. And isn't that true? There's times you can share the gospel with somebody... And they just have that blank look on their face because it just is foolishness. And Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 1. It sounds like the craziest thing in the world. Why would God send his son? 
Why would God even love his creation? Why would he send his son to die when we're the ones that rebelled? Why didn't he just wipe us out and start over? It makes no sense. And Satan's going to use that to blind the people we're talking to. One author wrote, as Christians are being transformed by reflecting on and reflecting Christ, unbelievers are being malformed by the world. We're being transformed. Unbelievers are being malformed because the veil that Satan's puts in their eyes. So how, how do we take this? Number one, we don't lose heart that there's opposition. There's going to be opposition. Satan doesn't want God's word to go forth. But number two, it's a reminder that the most important thing we do in our work for God is pray. Is pray. You and I don't lift the veil. The Holy Spirit lifts the veil. And so as we go to each day and say, okay, I'm going to live today for God's glory. That's my job. Even in the most difficult times, I'm going to shine for God. Part of that needs to be praying for the people we're talking to. Saying, God, lift the veil. Help them to see truth. You may be in a hospital and trying to, to witness to your nurses or your doctor, start that morning by praying for them. Praying that, that Satan's deception would be stripped away. The problem isn't the gospel. It's that the God of this world is blinding people. Verses 5 and 6. Paul goes on still in this little sideline about ministry. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. Oh, what beautiful, beautiful verses. We're to minister as servants pointing to Christ. He's going to give us more details on this in the next point. But ministers as servants pointing to Christ. And there's, there's a couple things to dig out of that. We proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And it's not about me and, and, and you. And we're, when we're going through trials, it's so easy to make it about ourselves. Look what I'm going through. And we want to talk about it. We want sympathy. And we want this. And we want that. And Paul's saying, no, it's, a, it's about Christ. It's about pointing people to Christ. And it's about pointing people to Jesus Christ as Lord as the one that's in control of all things, that the one is over our circumstances. We are simply servants. As we face trials, the idea is, how can I serve God more through this? My ministry is given to me by God. In His sovereignty, He's allowed these trials to come. And so this is part of doing His job. This is part of of sharing this awesome, incredible gospel that we, we have inside of us. One author said, a good idea to think of servants are tools that speak. Tools that speak. We're hammers, screwdrivers in the hand of God. We happen to speak. To be a slave, another quote, to be a slave of Christ means that all one's possessions, aspirations, time, and labor belong completely to him. It also means that if Christ is Lord, then those who proclaim his lordship cannot be lords themselves. Oh, that's so true. We don't lose heart because we have a job to do. Because we're servants. And the master has allowed all this to happen for the sake of his gospel.
different way of thinking. And most of the things Paul's going to share in this chapter aren't so much five steps that we can do to not lose heart, but different ways of thinking and reorienting our mindset so we know how to handle things. So we know how to move on and serve him. Verse 6 there. Let me read that again, verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And Paul here references the idea of light, and, and he starts by saying, God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, or let there be light. That ring a bell? Goes back to creation. And, and reminds people, he's reminding the Corinthians, they serve the creator of light. They serve the creator God. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then it's also reminiscent of Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. It's a reminder that the creator God is the one that creates light in us. Paul would have understood this. Remember the road to Damascus when he was in darkness, when he thought he was doing, he was a very righteous and religious person, a light shone on him. And that's an example of what God was doing in his heart as the light was shining in his heart. How does this apply to not losing heart? It's a reminder that we've been given a job by the creator, but he's the one that actually does the work. He says, share You have this incredible gospel inside you, this awesome gospel. Share it, let it out, and then let me do something with it. Don't worry if the person doesn't accept Christ. Don't worry if it's been 20 years and you've been praying for the same person to accept Christ. Keep praying, keep loving, keep sharing, and see what the Holy Spirit does. You never know. So Paul's first paragraph there says, we don't lose heart because of the ministry we've been given. Because it's part of our job. The trials are part of our job. Part of the tools God is going to use to show himself to others. Then in verse 7 through 12, we get the next statements that Paul, Paul begins to expand on. We don't give up. We don't lose heart because our weakness displays God's greatness. Our weakness displays God's greatness. This again comes back to purpose and a different way of thinking. But when I can understand that what I'm going through, when I don't want to get up in the morning, when I'm feeling pressed in at all sides, when I can begin to understand that God can use that to show His greatness, oh, that's cool. That is awesome. Because now God is taking something that Satan intends for harm and using it for His purposes. I love a good turnaround in a movie. And God does that every day in our lives. Starting at verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And I would highlight that verse or underline it or star it. It's a center point of this chapter. We have this treasure in jars of clay. I have a couple of jars of clay up here, which I thought would be helpful in in understanding. And, And the thing about jars of clay is they're ordinary. This is just a jar of clay. I can remember the first time in Israel and Happy had been there before and we're going through one of the towns and he says, oh, look, there's pottery. There's some clay. I'm like, yeah, clay. And I'm picking it. I'm taking this home. This is, will they let me take it home? He's like, yeah, it, it's clay. It, it's just a pot because everyone had these. 
They, they were just normal and ordinary. They, they were cracked. They leaked. They broke easily. They didn't even repair them. They didn't have super glue to put them back together. They just went and made a new clay pot. And this is what God says you and I are. Flattering, huh? We have this treasure in jars of clay. There's a lot of reasons why I think he uses this metaphor. The one he says, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. See, if we were jars of gold, we'd think pretty highly of ourselves. It would distract from what was inside. You put a bouquet of flowers in this, nobody's going to come and say, what an awesome pot. They're going to say, what awesome flowers. You, you put, maybe you have jewels and you, you fill this up with jewels. Again, nobody's going to say, what an awesome pot. They're looking at the contents. Do you want to be the focus of people's attention or do you want God to be the focus of people's attention? Right? And so he said, I'm going to make you jars of clay. We live in a fallen world and and this also helps us deal with our stresses and deal with our troubles because we realize this is part of living in a Genesis 3 world. See, these these are made by the potter for his purpose. Clay pots. Clay pots are fragile. You drop a clay pot and it breaks. And some of you just woke up and realized, oh, I'm glad I set my clock ahead. (laughs) It breaks. When I was buying these, I had to sift through like five or six broken ones before I found one that actually was, was useful. This is us, and it's awesome, and it's beautiful, and it's fragile, and it needs Christ. Because God knows our hearts. And if he says I'm a gold pot, then I'm going to own that and I'm going to tell you I'm a gold pot. And we all struggle with thinking we're a little gilded, don't we? Thinking we're a little special. And God says you're fragile. Clay pots often leaked. They had flaws. Isn't that comforting for ministry though? That God says, I know you're a leaky cracked pot. I know you have flaws. And it's not about the pot. It's about me, he says. Clay pots aren't the focus. They're not ornate. They're simple. They do their job. And so God has planned it that we don't have to worry about our failures and our inadequacies. We give them to him and find ways to show him off and not me. I was telling Terry this morning, we sang great is thy faithfulness. We didn't sing great is my faithfulness. This is me. The treasure is God and his gospel. It's not health and wealth like you hear at some churches. But it's beautiful. And it's awesome. And it's how God works. Two reasons, I think, out of of this passage He mentions that. The first is to show off God's power, not ours. Nothing. We don't want anything to get in the way of God's power. If the gospel depends on me, and it it depends on me being perfect, no one's going to be saved. If it depends on you, no one's going to see God clearly. 
but we want to just point to Christ. And so he says that to know that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And the key here is when we begin to think of ourselves in this way, we begin to have the right attitude. Not to get down on ourselves, but to say, God can use even this. Second reason is the second half of that verse, and not to us. And I think God made us clay pots to combat pride. To combat pride in how we view God and our need for God, and to combat pride in how we treat each other. Because here's the thing. If you and I are both clay pots, none of you are better than anyone else in here. You're all cracked pots. Right? But we so often in our pride begin to think that we're better than the people around us. We think that we need to give them our advice. Our, our wonderful golden treasure of input into their lives because we are more mature than them. You're a pot. You're clay. I'm clay. Doesn't mean we don't encourage each other. Doesn't mean we don't hold each other accountable. But how do we view each other? It comes down to if we see each other as just pots, we'll start to treat each other better. We'll start to value each other more. And pride, I've got to say, Village, this is something that in the church in America, and I see it at Village, pride is the thing that Satan is using to divide us. And he's using to drive relationships apart and friendships apart. And, and maybe we've learned how to put on a show and act in front of people here. But what do we think when we go home? What do we think when we go to lunch? See, no clay pot looks at another clay pot and says they shouldn't be so leaky. They should be a little bit more golden like me. What do you talk about? What do you talk about at lunch? Do you talk about the flaws in other clay pots? Because that's sin. And that divides. And that focuses on the pot instead of the God who fills the pot. And, and, And we hide that in so many ways. Well, I'm just trying to, you know, help them. Or I'm just trying to help that ministry or... Man, it usually comes back to pride. We have this treasure in jars of clay. I am not God. I am not better than you. We're all fragile clay pots that an awesome God displays his awesome power through. That's the focus. The treasure of the gospel does not keep well in proud vessels. I love what D.T. Nile said. The gospel is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Isn't that cool? The gospel is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. There is none righteous, no, not one. We've got to think of ourselves as clay pots and glory in it. Not get down about it but glory in it. Verses 8 and 9, Paul, Paul expands on this and he gives examples. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not dis- destroyed. I love these verses. I have posted these. I have read these on days that are hard. And Paul's just taking the whole jars of clay idea and, and putting it into circumstances, putting examples to it. <clears throat> 
We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. The word there is the idea of squeezed. And you can squeeze a pot. I'm not going to squeeze this one really hard. I don't want to cut off a finger or anything today. But it's feeling squeezed from every direction. Circumstances and things we don't know what to get out of or how to get out of. And Jesus says, we're afflicted in every way. Or God in his word says, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. The pressure comes in, but the pot won't give way. Because it's a really cool pot? No, because the glory of God is inside, keeping it intact. Focus isn't on us, it's on God. The next example he gives is is perplexed, but not driven to despair. And, And that idea is sort of being at wit's end, cornered. You have no idea where to go from here. And Paul felt that. Without God's strength, he would have been broken. We don't understand God's ways. But when we don't understand, God still does. Because the pot may not understand how it's being used and what circumstances are going to be used, but the contents of the pot do. And so Paul says we're perplexed, but not in despair. The third one, he says, is persecuted, but not forsaken. God never forsakes his children. And we can feel like we're being hit and persecuted. But Jesus Christ is still in us. The Holy Spirit is still in us. Jesus was forsaken, so we would not be. Think about that. On the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A point in theology I struggle to even understand and comprehend how Jesus could be forsaken by his father. But he did that so you and I that are believers would never be forsaken, even though we're clay. Fourth one, Paul says, is struck down, but not destroyed. The idea is being hit, being whacked. And and, and one author said it's sort of like boxing. You're knocked down, but you get back up. You're not knocked out. And so Paul uses four couplets here And and all of them say, it's bad, but because of the gospel, because of of Christ, it's not the end. It's not the end. The vessel is being held together by God. And so we exult in our weakness because it shows God in ways that nothing else can. You may reach a neighbor through trials because they're willing to listen to you after watching how you deal with what you deal with. You may reach them in ways you never could if life was good, if life was perfect. And so to to have no trials, to have no situations that are pressing in on us, yeah, we might think that's that's good, but it's awesome if we have those things and it brings someone to Christ. Does that make sense? We've got to start viewing our trials in a whole different way. It's part of our job, but it's, it, it, it's a pedestal that Jesus shines on. Let's not knock down the pedestal on the altar of convenience and comfort. Paul goes on, verses 10, 11, to, to take the example to Jesus. We're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. Lots of, of, 
ideas of what that means. Literally, it's that we always carry the dying of Jesus. Jesus' experience in a fallen world. And Jesus experienced the fallen world to the full, didn't he? He knows anything we go through. And because he's experienced this fallen world, we, because we are in him, we experience that here, but that's just the temporary. Because the end was the resurrection, the life that Jesus manifests in our body. So we carry the death of Jesus, his work on the cross, but we also carry the life of Jesus. Verse 11, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. And it's this concept that the light shines greatest in the darkness. And as we deal with this fallen world, we put Jesus on display, and it's awesome. And Paul ends in verse 12 there, so death is at work in us. The trials, the despair, the struggle with depression, that's at work in us, but life in you. It's not about him as the clay pot. It's about who sees what's in the pot. Life in you. And Paul here goes beyond himself and says it's about reaching you, loving you. We have to die to self and die to, to being, being intend, <clears throat> to, to having to, to dwell in our trials, to having to focus on them, to having to have everyone know them. We've got to die to self so Jesus can shine. George Mueller, pastor and provider for many children, man of faith, man of prayer. He was asked his secret and he hung his head and said, there was a day when I died. And he hung it lower and said, died to George Mueller. Trials help us do that. They help us strip away our own ideas of what life should be. Our own attempts to cling to perfection and what we want. And we die to self and it's awesome. And Jesus shines. One author paraphrased these four things by saying, squeezed but not squashed, bewildered but not befuddled, pursued but not abandoned, knocked down but not knocked out. What a picture of how as clay pots we highlight God's power. We may feel like we're at the end of our rope, but we never are because we're never at the end of our hope. Paul goes on, talks still about not losing heart. Verse 13, 14. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Point number three in your notes. We don't lose heart because we can trust a faithful God for our now and for our future. We can trust a faithful God for our now and for our future. And Paul here is is bringing them back to a whole heritage of faith. When he says, since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. He's coming back to one of the Psalms, Psalm 116. And in verse 10, it reads, I believed even when I spoke, I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. 
And so he's tying what he's going through back to what all of believers have gone through. Earlier in that psalm, David wrote things like, Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. And Paul's going back and saying, David was feeling this way. David was as low as you can go. And God delivered him. God delivered his soul from death. He was with him. And so I believe in a faithful God. And because I believe, I can go on. I can speak. And so Paul's tying into that heritage. I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. We are part of a long heritage of believers. You and I are not the first ones to have bad days. Feels that way, doesn't it? Because again, we feel that way when we're making it about me. You and I aren't the first ones. Paul, what we're reading today, he goes back to David. People that have followed God in this fallen world have always had trials and bad days and struggles. And God has always been faithful. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord God Almighty. Not mine. And Paul goes on to say, and we're assured of our future, that he who raised from the dead will come back and raise us from the dead. Just a little side note, I love how Paul, in that last verse, the wording he uses, will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. We see the humility. We see the clay pot to a clay pot saying, we're all in this together. Point number four, we don't lose heart as we see God use our trials to impact others. And this is that next verse, verse 15. Just a really short little point here, but impactful. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And Paul gives two purposes for trials there that help us not lose heart. One is for the for heavenly purpose, the glory of God. God is going to be revealed, sort of what we already talked about with clay pots. But then for human purpose, that as grace extends to more and more people, it may extend thanksgiving. And Paul says, I'll go through anything if it means we expand the table, if we extend the family, if it means more people come to Christ. So the, the difficulty when we're, we're in those days that we don't know that we can go on is we don't see beyond our, our, our trials. It's hard. But know this. Believe this. God is using you to impact others, even in your darkest times. Depending on how you're responding. That's a whole other talk. But if we're following Him, if we're trusting Him, He is using what you think is something you need to quit over to impact others. So press on. Press on so more people will be impacted. That grace extends to more and more people that increases in Thanksgiving. Last point, verses 16 through 18. We don't lose heart when we realize that anything we go through here is temporary. 
It's temporary and refining us for the eternal. Verses 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. He brings back the theme. He sort of wraps up the chapter in an envelope here. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Oh, isn't this an awesome passage? He's saying we don't lose heart. Yes, our outer self, our bodies fade away. As you get older, your bodies fail. Yeah, there's things I can't do today that I could 20 years ago. Happy reminds me of those every day. (laughs) No, we laugh about it. He's like, let's go play basketball. I'm like, oh. Our bodies fail. This world is failing. There's so much to be depressed about and discouraged about. But it's all temporary. This isn't what, this isn't all there is. You see in each of those three verses a couple of quick things. The first in verse 16, God renews us day by day. He gives us enough strength for each day. Otherwise, we don't need God. We, we are a self-centered people. If we don't need God every day, we would not need God at all. Lamentations 3.22, the worship team read this morning. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in you, in him. Part of realizing things are, are here are temporary, but there's a whole eternal world here is realizing God's going to give you enough strength for today. He's going to give you enough strength for tomorrow. You may think you're at the end of your rope. God will give you enough strength to deal with that today. I remember on, on missions trips, sometimes the, the circumstances weren't the most ideal. Now keep in mind the ideal for us. Like I don't get to shower every day or the shower's a little cold or whatever it is. And people are like, I don't think I could do this. And my statement all, always was, you can do anything for a day. And they'd get up the next morning and say, okay, that day's done. I'm like, oh, you can do anything for a day. Let's get through today. Because God gives enough strength for today. He renews us. Verse 17 is a reminder that God is using these trials to refine us as as well for His glory. Did you catch the words of 17? For this light momentary affliction, that can be sort of annoying to read right there when you're in the middle of it, right? But it's a reminder. This is light, it's momentary compared to glory, is preparing for us. And, and, and that is preparing means there's an intentionality that God is using this to, to create glory in us. This is part of being transformed degree by degree. We take on his glory. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And, and there's, there's some just beautiful word plays here. Remember glory in the Old Testament? Kabod, one of the meaning was weight. Heavy. And, and so there's this word play here of, of God, God through his word is saying, you think your trials are so heavy. But on a scale compared to the heaviness of glory, it, it's, they're nothing. They're feathers. And so focus more on what God is doing in our lives, the glory that he is preparing. 
Finally, verse 18, as we look not on things that are seen, but on things that are unseen. We need to keep an eternal perspective. What are we focusing on? The more we focus on a trial, the more we focus on conflict, something that's bothering us, the more we focus on it, the bigger it gets. It's the hand, and you've seen me do this, that comes closer and closer. When it's here, all I see is the stinking hand. But that's not reality. And God is saying, that's not all there is. What you're going through is not it. There's more. And there's more because of the work of Jesus Christ, because of the awesome gospel, the awesome faithfulness of God that we have inside as fragile clay pots. We want to end today with communion and coming and celebrating the treasure, not the pot. The work that says, I am your hope in any situation you go through. That there is nothing you face that I can't handle. We don't lose heart because we realize trials are part of our job. They highlight God's power. That we can trust God in the future He has for us when we realize trials are used to impact others and that they're just temporary, preparing us for the eternal weight of glory. Let's bow our heads for a moment and thank God for his work on the cross. Lord Jesus, I confess when I'm going through things, I am so tempted to lose heart sometimes because I just can't get my mind off the things I'm going through. Lord, help me to see how you're using that for your glory. Help me to see how that's part of the job you have for me, the purpose you have for me, that that's part of how you want to be on the pedestal displayed for all to see, part of how you want to impact others. Lord, help us all, instead of complaining when we go through difficult times, to say, I'm going to use this for the king. I'm going to show this incredible treasure that's inside me. Lord, thank you for making us fragile. Thank you for making us weak so we can see your power at work in our lives and depend on you and have an awesome relationship with you, God. Thank you for your death on the cross that made that possible, that defeated this Genesis 3 world, that defeated death and offers us life and offers us hope, Lord. Without the cross and without the resurrection, this is nothing. We have no hope. But Lord, that happened. It's true. We praise you. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.